God, we need a firm foundation for our life. We need a strong anchor for our soul. And today as we're singing, we're confessing together that we believe we don't have what it takes. We believe that we cannot hold our lives together. We believe that we cannot keep ourselves safe through this life and into eternity. But God, we confess together that our trust is in you. Our hope is in you as our strong, firm anchor. God, we're believing this morning that it's by your power, it's by your might, it's by your strength that we stand. God, we ask this morning that um, even though we're saying this is our story, we, we know that there are ways in which we slip in and out of the true story. We slip in and out of, of the story that you tell us is the true one in your word. God, sometimes... Uh, it's a suffering that comes into our life, and it's hard for us to believe that you're good. It's hard for us to believe that you're a loving God because of what we're dealing with. Or sometimes it's the doubts that we have uh, about ourselves, about our own ability to remain close to you. Lord, sometimes it's our sins that genuinely overtake us and we fall to temptation. But God, we're, what we're confessing together this morning is that we don't have what it takes. We admit that we are weak. We admit that life is too much for us. We admit that we are in over our heads. And so we cry out to you, God. You are the merciful one. You are the gracious one. You are the loving Lord of history. And we're asking you to re-engage us into that true story. Bring us back again and align us again to this story of the gospel that is of first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised for us, Lord. Draw us back into the reality of that story again today, that we might see our lives from your perspective, through your lens, that we might be swept up again into your grace. Lord, stir in our hearts to see the wonder and the beauty of what you've done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as always, as we open your word, <clears throat> we just want to confess that we, we need you to speak to us. We desperately need to hear from you. And so we humbly submit, Lord, whatever you have to say, whatever you reveal to us in your word, God, that is what we believe to be true. That is what we stake our lives upon. And so come now by the power of your spirit, open up the eyes of our hearts to see the truth in your holy word. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. Um, as you're taking your seat, two things. One, if you're a child and you've been checked in, you can head to the lobby at this point. If you haven't had a chance to check in, you can do that now. Uh, the other thing is I want to ask you to open your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And uh, if you need a Bible, you, you came here this morning, you didn't have a Bible, there is a, a rack of Bibles in the back. Please feel free to uh, go back there and grab a Bible to have uh, open there. It'll be a great help to you this morning to have a, a copy of God's Word in your lap. Today we're going to be covering Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, and you'll notice as we read through uh, these three verses that this is one long sentence. And so today we're just going to cover one sentence in the Bible. Colossians 1, 21 to 23, and I'm going to read that for us now. Colossians chapter 1, 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word. Uh, Today, as we look at Colossians chapter 1, we're finally going to get a deeper picture of why it is that Paul wrote this letter. Why is it that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wanted to reach out to a group of people who he had never met before? See, what Paul got wind of, what Paul heard, is that there was something that had entered into the life of this church that was tempting them to move on from the gospel. There was something that had entered into the life of the church at Colossae that was tempting them to move on from Jesus. Uh, over the last few years, I don't know, probably every, every two years or so, I uh, transition between what internet and cable service I have at the time. You know, one, after one year, your bill goes up about $10, $15. The next year, it goes up $20, $25 more. And, you know, I'm the kind of person, I know that changing, changing it over is a huge hassle, and it saves you relatively no money, but it's just principle, right? Based on principle, I change it up, and I, I go with, with something else. Uh, most recently, the, the company that I get my television service from dropped the handful of channels that I watch. I don't watch that many channels. And so if, if the handful of channels that I, that I do watch, you, you drop them, uh, there's no reason for me to be lo- a loyal customer when you don't have the, the one thing that I need, the, the one thing that, that, that I want to have TV for. And so within about an hour of these channels dropping, I go online, I do the research, I find something better, I uh, hook my service up to that, and I have canceled my uh, old service. It happened like that within an hour. Uh, when I think back on that experience, it's kind of scary to me how, how fast I'm able to move on from something. It's kind of scary to me how loose the ties are in my life to certain institutions. See, we live in a day when moving on is so easy. We get impatient. Something doesn't meet up uh, to our expectations. And as soon as something is uncomfortable, as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as something doesn't meet up to our standards, we just find another option. We just move on. We just shift around and, and, and find the next best thing. And what that means is that for people like us who have, who have almost made a habit out of moving on, we have to get honest about what that means for our faith. Paul is reaching out to this church because they are, be, they are being tempted to move on from the gospel. And for people like you, people like me, who have gotten so good at moving on, so good at just shifting on to the next thing, we have to come face to face with the serious danger that we too are being tempted to move on from Jesus. We too are tempted all the time to move on from the gospel. What we're going to see from Paul this morning is just how foolish it would be to move on from the gospel. What we're going to see this morning is that to move away from Jesus, to shift away from the hope of the gospel, as as he puts it in there in in verse 23, would be catastrophic. That yes, there there are probably some good reasons that tempt us to move on from the gospel, but the reasons for us to embrace and cling on to for dear life, this precious gospel, those reasons are so much stronger and so much greater. So today, we're going to look at five reasons that it would be foolish to move on from the gospel. It would be foolish to move on from the gospel. And under each of those reasons, 
we're going to consider why it is that some people do move on from Jesus. Why is it that some people do move on from the gospel? And so the first reason this morning it would be foolish to move on from the gospel is that only the gospel explains who we are. Only the gospel explains who we are. Verse 21 of Colossians 1 says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Paul begins with three quick descriptors that explain who every single human being is who comes into this world. Um, This is what we have to realize. Paul doesn't know these people. He's never met them. He's never seen their faces. And yet, he says that he understands them. He knows them. He gets who they really are. And he uses these three descriptors to, to describe who they are. The first one is alienated. Simply put, every single person who is born into this world does not come into this world with a right relationship with God. We're not close to God. We don't have a friendly relationship with with him. Every single person who comes into this world has a broken relationship with God. We do not have a close, friendly relationship with him. Now, the second thing Paul says tells us why that is. He says that we are hostile in mind. In other words, is the reason that we are alienated from God, is the reason we don't have a good relationship with God, is it God's fault? Is it because he didn't want a relationship with us? No, Paul's saying the reason that we don't have a friendly relationship with God is our fault. It's that we are hostile towards him. We have a problem with God. We are over here trying to build our own little kingdom, and that means we put ourselves at odds with God and his kingdom. And and so therefore, necessarily, the third thing, if we are alienated from God, we don't have a good relationship with God. And if we're hostile in mind towards God, which means we don't like God, we don't like his rules, we don't like his ways, we don't like his government in the world, then inevitably what that means is that evil deeds will flow from our life. It's just the simple logical conclusion. We're alienated from him, we're hostile in mind, so therefore we do things that are wrong. We do things that go against his law. And this brings us to our first consideration about why it is, why it is that people shift away from the hope of the gospel. Why do some people move on from Jesus? Some people say, I don't need the gospel because I'm not a bad person. I don't, I don't need a Savior. I, I, I'm not a bad person. I'm generally a, a good person. And so here we have the Bible on the one side that comes to us and says, you are evil. And we have modern man on the other side who says, no, we're, we're all basically good. And so here's the question we have to ask. Which version of, that, of the story actually explains history more accurately. Like when we look back over the last few thousand years and we we ask the question, are are humans basically good or are humans basically rotten at their core? Which version of the story explains history? Uh, You know, there are some people that try and deny that the Holocaust even happened. I mean, how how senseless do you have to be to, to... to see something that is so heinous, so awful, and so well-documented, and honestly come to the conclusion that it never happened, that it didn't exist. What kind of evidence do you have to blatantly, willfully, irrationally overlook to think that something like the Holocaust never happened? But see, that's the same kind of 
thing that you have to do to believe that all humans are basically good. There is so much evidence that we have rebelled against God, that we have hurt other people. There is so much evidence that we are not, at our core, good, that for us to continue to push the narrative that we are all basically good people means that we have to willfully, blatantly, irrationally overlook the mound of evidence against us. The truth about who we are is that we come into this world and we are not on good terms with God. We are hostile in mind towards Him. And and this is what we have to get in our heads. Is that when we prioritize something over God, we prioritize something over God, when we trust in something instead of God, when we obey some other voice, whether our own or or, or some other in, in the world around us, when we obey any other voice other than God, that is not just an oopsie daisy. When we go against God's law, it's not just a a whoopsie. No, when we go against God and His law and His word, that is treason. Guys, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I can't believe you're trying to equate, you know, denying that the Holocaust happened with propagating the narrative that we are basically good people. I can't believe that you would even think to put those things in the same category. What do you mean? We're talking about rebellion against God. We're talking about treason against the Creator who is the King of this universe. Nothing could be more serious than that. Uh, Over the last few months, I uh, have gone out and played golf with my dad a few times. And uh, we we always go out, uh, just the two of us, and inevitably, you know, we get paired up with two other people and you know, you go through the match, you go through the game, and, you know, usually it's, I don't know, the third hole, fourth, maybe sometimes later, a little fifth, sixth, seventh hole. One of the other golfers, golfers we're playing with will, will get curious, and they'll ask, so what do you guys do for a living? And uh, we'll, you know, share. We're pastors, and I just wish that you could see the shock on these men's faces. It's not that they have found pastors in the wild that makes the shock on their face. It is that for the last hour, they have been cussing up a storm, and they are brought to the core of their embarrassment by realizing they've been doing it in the presence of two pastors. Every time, every single time this has happened, they all basically insinuate that if they had only known we were pastors, they would have been, done a better job guarding their mouth. One guy actually said, oh my gosh, Why didn't you tell us? As if it is our responsibility to walk into every room and say, by the way, everyone, there are pastors here. I just want you to know there are pastors in the room. (laughs) Guys, here's the silly thing about that. We all live live our lives in the presence of God. It doesn't matter how we present ourselves to one another. It doesn't matter how we act when certain people are around. It doesn't matter how we compare up to others. What matters is that we live our lives before the face of God. And he just doesn't just see what's on the outward appearance. He sees what's in our hearts, and he sees what passes through our minds. And if we're all honest... Knowing that we live our lives before the face of God means that we are actually far worse than we would ever want to admit. We are far worse than we like to trick ourselves into believing that we are. 
So why does Paul feel the need to describe who we are before we become a Christian? Why does he feel the need to, to bring this up, you know? He's never even met these people. He's never even seen their faces, but he feels the need to remind them of who they were before they became Christians. Well, we need to remember who we were because who we were has a direct bearing upon who we are now. This morning, we've been singing some great songs. For example, we've been singing about the fact that we are chosen. We are chosen. But see, it matters when you say, I am chosen, and you remember that you were chosen out of your filth. It changes things. And when you sing, I am a child of God, but you remember that you're a child of God, but it wasn't that long ago that you were alienated from God and hostile from Him and not on friendly terms with Him. It changes things when you say, I'm a child of God, knowing that you were adopted into His family from the other side of the enemy lines. To remember who we were has a direct bearing upon who we are now. It keeps us humble, especially humble, towards those who have not placed their faith in Jesus because we remember we remember who we once were. And it keeps us grateful, thankful to God for showing up in our lives and changing our story. And I also think that it keeps us repentant. That as we see the ugliness of who we were, as we see the ugliness of what it was like when we had our own kingdom and we were competing against God, as we were trying to rob Him of His glory, we see the ugliness of what that looks like and so then now, when we see traces of that in our life, we, we want to turn and we want to run in the other direction. To remember who we were has a direct bearing upon who we, who we are. And so it would be foolish to move on from the gospel because only the gospel explains the reality, reality of the world as it is. Nothing else makes sense of this world than what God has revealed to us in the gospel. The second reason to be foolish to move on from the gospel is that only the gospel can reconcile us with God. Only the gospel can reconcile us with God. I'm going to read verse 21 again and then uh, read half of verse 22. Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This morning, every week on the back of the bulletin, we have what's called a question for the kids. And the idea is we, we just want families going home and, and discussing together what, what you've heard. The kids are learning some of the same things that we're learning in here, and we, we just want you talking about it. Or maybe you didn't bring kids, but you came here with somebody, and maybe it'd be a great opportunity for you to discuss uh, what, you, what you heard or what, you, what, you talk, what we talked about here today. Um, the question that we wanted you to discuss today is simply, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And uh, this morning we read, during the worship set, we read from 1 Corinthians 15 because in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, we get the most crystallized, distilled description, definition of the gospel in all the scriptures. Simply put, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And then Jesus Christ died on the cross in the place of sinners. He was buried and then he rose again on the third day, triumphing over sin, death, and hell. That is the simplest definition of the gospel. Jesus' life, his perfect life, his death, his substitutionary death in the place of sinners, and his resurrection to new life, conquering sin, death, and hell. That is the simplest definition of the gospel. That is the story of the gospel, but, but what does it accomplish? So what does that story accomplish? What, is, what does that narrative do for us? 
What Paul is saying here, one of the most fundamental things, one of the most crucial things that the gospel accomplishes is reconciliation between God and man. Reconciliation between God and man. I had an early dramatic experience with reconciliation. Uh, When I was, I don't know, maybe in upper elementary school, me and a couple of my buddies got our hands on a BB gun. And we were uh, going around his neighborhood up to no good. And uh, somebody, I don't don't even really remember who it was, but one of us pulled the trigger and it was aimed at a door. And And just sort of one of those crazy, weird life circumstances. As soon as the trigger was pulled and a little BB came shooting down the barrel of that gun, someone opened the door. Uh, the, the small BB went through and it actually struck a child. Uh, now, I'm here today to tell you, everyone survived. Everything's good. It was not a, a huge ordeal. Everyone's, everyone was all right. But when my dad found out uh, what had happened, uh, he made me get in the car and he drove me over to these uh, people's house. And he made me knock on the door and introduce myself and apologize. Uh, What am I doing in that moment? I am seeking reconciliation. I'm trying to mend the relationship. Something came between me and this other person. There there was an animosity. There was a a sin, if you will. And I'm going up to the door, and I'm trying to make reconciliation. And that's typically how things work in this life, right? Somebody harms somebody else, and we expect that person to go and and say what they've done, apologize, and, and to try to make amends. But I want you to notice that in our relationship with God... It isn't us who's doing the reconciling. It is God who does the reconciling. Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled. It's not us who accomplishes the reconciliation. It's not us going up to his door and knocking on it and asking for forgiveness. God, in his grace, comes to us. And he does for us what we could not do for ourselves in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, is that how it works? You know, I mean, could, could our reconciliation with God be as simple as walking up to a door, knocking on it, introducing ourselves, and, and making things right? Is it that simple? And the reality is no, and here's why. What we talked about a minute ago. Our sins, our law-breaking, it, it, it's not just an oopsie. It's not just a I made a little mistake. The sins we've committed, the laws we've broken, mean that we've committed crimes. And just like in our world today, I mean, if you commit a serious crime, you can't knock on somebody's door and say, I'm sorry, and and walk out. No, there's payment that has to be made. There is some justice that has to be upheld. And so the reason that we can't just be reconciled with God with with an apology and, and forgiveness is that someone has to pay for our crimes. But here's the problem. When you commit an offense against an eternally holy God, what you owe is an eternal sentence. And that means the only way that we can be reconciled with God is through the death of Jesus Christ in our place. That for us to be friends with God again, Jesus had to be treated as an enemy of God. For us to be brought close to God again, Jesus had to be, as Paul said in verse 21, alienated from God on our behalf. Um, Author Jerry Bridges uh, writes something somewhat shocking that helps us understand what God has done in reconciliation. Uh, Here's how he puts it. Here's how he flips things on its head. Jerry Bridges writes, 
we ourselves should have been on our faces before God, imploring Him to be reconciled to us. Instead, we see God reconciling us to Himself through the death of His Son, and then appealing to us to receive that reconciliation. What a pure act of grace and mercy on God's part. God did what we could not do by removing the hostility between us. And listen, this is God went further. He, he took another step. We wouldn't have apologized even if that would have made it right. We didn't want to be reconciled to God. We didn't want to have a friendly relationship with Him. And so God shows up. He does for us what we could not do for ourselves, and He wins us back to Him again. Now, I think this brings up another consideration about why people move on from the gospel. Why it is that people move on from the gospel? In in the section before, we said that the reason people move on from the gospel is to say, well, I'm just not a bad person. But another reason that people move on from the gospel is they say, I'm leaving because this isn't living up to my expectations. You know, know, what I was in this for wasn't really a relationship with God. What I was hoping is that Jesus would come into my life and sort of give me an upgrade. You know, Jesus would be my, uh, my pal who would help me accomplish my goals in this life and meet all my achievements that I've been, I've been dreaming about. You know, that, that, that's sort of what we envision Christianity to be. But when we find out that what Jesus is really about is actually bringing us into a relationship with God, we say, no thanks. I'm going to move on to the next thing that's going to help me get what I want in this life, the next thing that will help me achieve my goals and conquer my dreams in this world. But C.S. Lewis uh, famously helps us understand how foolish it is to believe that achieving our goals and dreams in this life could possibly compare to having a friendship with God. This is what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, We are half-hearted creatures, foolish about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. To kind of put that into modern day terms, to believe that it it would be better to run after our dreams and hopes and achievements in this life rather than to have a relationship with God is to be like a child who refuses to get in the car to go to Disney World because they're just having too much fun playing in the mud in the backyard. They just don't have the imagination to be able to understand what they're giving up on. What Paul is saying is don't shift from the hope of the gospel. Don't step away from Jesus because a reconciled relationship with God is the most important thing in this world. To know God is so much more important than running after your dreams or your hopes or your achievements in this life. So it would be foolish to move on from the gospel because only the gospel brings us into friendly relationship with God. The third reason it would be foolish to move on from the gospel is that only the gospel can make us holy. Only the gospel can make us holy. Uh, I want to read all of verse 22 now. It says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, the key word in this uh, second half of this verse is the word present. To present something means to bring it out into the open for assessment. And what Paul is saying 
He's saying that in the gospel, when we place our faith in Jesus and embrace the gospel, we are presented to God, before God, for inspection as if we were holy, blameless, and above reproach. That while we're actually sinners, while we're actually people who've rebelled against God, while we're actually people who are alienated and hostile in mind towards Him, that if we are found in Jesus, He presents us before God for inspection as if we were holy and blameless and spotless. Now, the reason I think this is worth drawing out as a unique benefit beside reconciliation is that this world has a lot to say about being presentable. This world has a lot to say about being presentable. Uh, we live in what you might call a highly performative atmosphere. In other words, we're constantly sensing that life is a competition, that life is a performance, that we live on a stage and our job is to present ourselves in a certain manner or in a certain way. Uh, for example, today in our world of education, education is no longer seen as a place where kids go to be formed. Education is seen as a platform for children to perform. Um, in our workplaces, like businesses and restaurants, right? we, we literally give out ratings for how well we think someone does the job. And it puts so much pressure on businesses and restaurants to uphold a, a better rating than their, than their competition. Even churches slip into this kind of performative mindset where we, where we look around at other churches and somehow think that they are the competition rather than seeing them as uh, friendly gospel partners. And probably the biggest world-changing phenomenon in our lifetime is the advent of social media. And all social media is, think about it, all social media is is a platform for performance. You go on, you present something, and you either get a thumbs up or you get a thumbs down. You either get a thumbs up from what people say about you or you get a thumbs down from what people say about you. The whole thing is built around performance. It's built around presentation. We actually care a whole lot about what people think of us. We care a whole lot about how people judge us and evaluate our lives. We care a whole lot about being presentable in this life. And so what Paul is saying, he's drawing us in and he's saying, your performance is not what makes you presentable before God. Your quote-unquote rating in God's eyes is actually not based on how good you lived or how bad you lived. Paul's saying what makes us the only thing that can make us presentable before God is Jesus Christ in our place. His holiness, not ours. His blamelessness, not ours. His, the reality that He is above reproach, not the fact that we are above reproach. And this leads to another uh, consideration about why sometimes people move on from the gospel. And I, th I think we're what you're going to see is that this is actually kind of scary. Because some of, the, some of the ways we move on from the gospel are intentional. They're deliberate. We make the choice to step away, to shift away. But some of the ways that we move away from the gospel, shift away from Jesus, are more subtle. They're not on the surface. They're, they're deeper in the heart. Some people shift away from the gospel because they say, I don't need the gospel because I am presentable. 
We look at how we've served. We look at how we've cared for others. We look at how involved we've been in the church. We look at how we feel compassion for the outcasts and the, and the poor. We look at how we raise our kids compared to other people, and we think, wow, you know, I've just really done such a better job than, than those people over there and their kids. Or we think about how we've kept ourselves with integrity in our workplace, and we've gone about our career with certain morals and expectations for ourselves that other people haven't. We do all these things, and, and we live in this, this good way that we think that we can sit back and, and look at ourselves and, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty presentable. I've done some good stuff. I measure up pretty good compared to all these other people in my life. And that's why it's just as easy to move on from, from the gospel when we turn up at church week after week after week as it is to move on from the gospel while never stepping foot in a church. Moving on from the gospel doesn't necessarily mean that my bodily presence leaves a religious experience. Moving on from the gospel is simply trusting in anything else other than Jesus Christ. Well, when you think about the idea of uh, presentation, I'm not, sure what, uh, I'm not sure what comes to your mind. I'm not sure what you think about in your life when chances or times you've had to present things and, or perform and that sort of thing. But uh, what I think about is my time through college. I, I was a communication major, and so you do a lot of uh, public speaking uh, classes. And uh, there was this one, one day where we're in class, and we had this speech, and I mean, you know, you know, you know when you kill it. You know what I mean? Uh, I gave my speech, and I was like, man, like, that was good. That was like A+. Plus. Let's go. I sit down, and my classmate sitting beside me, he leans over, and he's like, dude, that was so much better than mine. You, you did such a good job. And I was like, I know. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was shocking to me. It was shocking to me when a few days later we, we got our papers with their, our grade on it, and mine says C minus, and his says B plus. Like, what's going wrong? He, he, told, he knew I knew I killed it. He knew I killed it. Well, you know, what's the problem? Like, why, why, why is he getting a better grade than me? And I looked down at the bottom of my paper, and there's a note from my teacher, and this is what it says. It says, the assignment was to give your presentation using note cards. You never look down at your note cards even once. It may have been a good speech, but it did not fulfill the assignment. I was stunned. Guys, there's going to be a lot of people who live their life in a way that they feel like is presentable. They may even be applauded by the world around them as checking all the boxes of what it means to live a meaningful, presentable, good life. And yet God himself will not be impressed because our rubric for what life is all about is not the same as God's. And guess what, guys? Our rubric doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good we felt about our life. It doesn't matter that, that we feel like we've checked all the boxes of what it means to live a good and presentable life. What matters is God's opinion. And see, if you look at the life of Jesus, what you find is that Jesus was almost the exact opposite of that. The world hated Jesus. The world condemned Jesus to die. Jesus had none of the qualities that we typically think of as a, of a fulfilling life. He didn't own a house. He never got married. He never had kids. He was hated by his own family. I mean, 
Jesus did not live the life that we typically think of as a presentable life. And the world crucified him for it. He went down to the grave. But then Jesus arose victorious. And Jesus ascended into heaven. And he presented himself. He presented his perfection before God. And today, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. And what that means is that our our presentableness before God cannot be in our own performance. It cannot be in our own record. That if we put our hope in what we've done, we will have nothing to boast about. But Paul is looking at us this morning and he's saying, if you put your trust in Jesus, here is one who is holy. Here is one who is blameless. Here is one who is above reproach. Here, Here is one who has gone and stood before the judgment seat of God and he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And if you place your faith in him, if you let go of the silly attempts of thinking that you can have a a life in this world that is presentable, presentable. if you say, I'm done with that, I'm done with thinking that I'm going to live according to the rubric of this world, and I'm going to place my faith in Jesus, then you are as presentable as his perfect record. You are seated at the right hand of the Father in him. So this morning... I guess this addresses us in a number of ways. First, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I would think your life has probably been pretty exhausting. Working so hard to try to measure up, working so hard to try and put the performance on. But here, I just want to tell you, you can't. Performance, when there is no measuring up, is just burnout. It's just exhaustion. It just runs us ragged. And so I invite you, place your faith in Jesus. Receive his holiness that he might present you before God perfect. And dear Christian who's here this morning and you wrestle, you struggle with that performance mindset, hear, hear the gospel this morning. That Jesus died for your sins in order to present you holy, blameless, spotless. Your rating before God, the way God thinks and feels about you is not based on your goodness or your badness in the last month. It's based on the perfection of Christ. But here's the other thing this means for all of us. It means that uh, we can also stop evaluating everybody else by their performance. Like the pressure of this performative atmosphere where we're constantly sizing people up and we're constantly comparing ourselves to to everybody, we can let go of that. We don't have to live our life constantly in comparison. We don't have to live our life feeling the need to always be asking, well, do I dress better or do they dress better? Or is is my way of talking better or is their way of talking better? Is my way of seeing the world better or is their way of the world seeing better? And this constant thing that we do The gospel of Jesus Christ just implodes that performative atmosphere. First and foremost in our hearts, but most especially in the church. As we stop sizing one another up and stop evaluating one another based on our performance, we can breathe. So it would be foolish to move on from the gospel because only in Jesus Can we be presentable before God? The fourth reason it would be foolish to move on from the gospel 
is that only the gospel gives steadfast hope. Only the gospel gives steadfast hope. The first half of verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Here's what verse 23 means. He's, he's saying that verses 21 and 22, they are your spiritual biography if. You know, th- th- this is the story of your life if. That, th- that these things he's been saying are true of you if. But how we fill in the if has a lot to do with whether we actually understand Christianity or not. How we fill in the if has a lot to do with whether we understand the gospel or not. Uh, what, what Paul is not saying, he's not saying that there are some people who become Christians, who are born again, who are justified before the face of God, but then they somehow screw it up because they can't quite seem to figure out how to get their life together. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that you can somehow be transferred, like we, like we saw a few weeks ago in 13 and 14, be transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son, but then somehow do something just bad enough to then be kicked out of the kingdom of his son back into the domain of darkness. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? He's saying if we don't continue in the faith, if we shift away from the hope of the gospel, then we never were holy, blameless, and above reproach before God because of Jesus. And if we shift away from the hope of the gospel, we never were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. And if we shift away from the hope of the, hope of the gospel, it means that we, we, we still are alienated from God, hostile in mind towards Him, and dead in our trespasses and sins. If we come this close to Jesus and then shift away and move on, that's what's at stake. That verses 21 and 22 are therefore not our spiritual biography. Now, I think it's crucial that at this point, Paul introduces us to this phrase, the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. Next week, we're going to talk more about uh, the hope of the gospel. But for today, I think what we can say at minimum, what Paul is saying, is that the gospel is our only hope. Uh, There's no other way. There's no other chance. There's no other opportunity. What I've been saying this morning about our predicament and what Jesus has done for us, it's not like it's one option of a few. Uh, This is it. If we're going to have a relationship with God, if we're going to be forgiven of our sins, if we're going to be able to enjoy life with God forever, the gospel's our only hope. This is it. This is our only shot. And so therefore, to shift away from it, to step away from Jesus would be catastrophic. It would be to miss out on everything that God has for us in Jesus. And that brings us to another consideration about why some people move on from the gospel. Uh, they say, I'm, I'm leaving the gospel because I don't want to wait for the fulfillment of God's promises. If I could maybe put that in a more down-to-earth way. I want heaven on earth now, and it's up to me to go out and get it. We move away from the gospel because we want heaven on earth now. And we take it into our own hands to run after heaven on earth rather than patiently waiting what God has promised us 
through the hope of the gospel. I've never been uh, deep sea diving. I've always thought it was kind of a cool activity. I feel like most things in life that are the most fun also are the most scary things. And that's why deep sea diving just seems like one of those things. It's like on the verge of like, you know, you could have a blast, you could die. We're not sure, you know, but it's going to be great. You, you get to see awesome things. So I just want you to imagine for a second that, um, that you're, you, that you're going to go deep sea diving and you jump into the water and then the guy with your oxygen tank jumps into the water beside you and you just, you just get so excited. You know, you're just so happy and so excited about what you're going to get to see that you just take off swimming. And you get a, you get a few uh, laps down into the water, and you look back, and, and you know you see your oxygen tank and, and the guide there. But you think to yourself, you know, I know I should probably go, you know, get my oxygen, but man, I just want to go after it. And so you just take off, blitzing towards the reefs to to go exploring. Now, listen, let's be honest. None of us would last very long, right? We can't survive underwater without oxygen. But so many times, I I, I think that's kind of what Paul's getting at. Is he saying, you and I? We see what the gospel promises. We see the, the future and the hope of what, what God promises. Uh, you know, a healed body, loved ones who live forever, um, life with God, pleasures forevermore. We, and we see these things, but, but we want them now. And so we think that if we go chasing after them in our own strength, that we might somehow achieve them. And so we leave Jesus behind trying to get heaven on earth now, which is the equivalent of like thinking that we're going to go deep sea diving while leaving our oxygen tank up at the surface. Paul is not saying that for us to end up in heaven with God one day, we have to somehow grow superhuman strength and save ourselves. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that somehow after becoming a Christian, we could get in and sort of mess it up bad enough and make a bad enough decision that God's going to say, yeah, if, I don't know, you're out. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is simply saying, if this is what it means to be alive, to have life with God, you must keep your oxygen mask on. You must keep breathing in Jesus Christ. You must have your hope singly focused on Jesus. If you shift away from this, it's like taking your oxygen out. If you shift away from Jesus, it's like throwing away the one thing that can keep you alive in this world. Jesus is the oxygen we need. That's why I think last week, if you weren't here, Paul zeroed in on Jesus and he just item after item after item after item of who Jesus is because we so desperately need Jesus. He's our only hope. Uh, Here's a few thoughts on not shifting from the gospel. Here's a few thoughts on what a life would look like for us to keep the oxygen in. Uh, First and foremost... We all need to get really, really clear on what the gospel is. If you're here this morning and you know that, like if somebody came up behind you after the service and tapped you on the shoulder and said, excuse me, can you tell me what the gospel is? And you wouldn't know what to say? Please, please do not leave here today without coming up and and talking to me or talking to somebody around you and, and, and getting clear on what the gospel is. We can't believe that we wouldn't shift away from the gospel if we aren't super clear on what it is. So don't leave here today without being clear on what the gospel is. Um, here's another thing, another thought on not shifting from the hope of the gospel. God has actually given us these channels. like he, He's given us paths for pumping the gospel into us more and more and more and more for the rest of our life. Like God has designed certain channels to keep the gospel flowing like oxygen into our body. 
So for example, like one of those channels is the church, you know, belonging to one, joining it and showing up every single Sunday till the, for the rest of your life until you die. That is God's plan for your life. You know, I'm not a prophet, but I know this. I know that God's plan for your life is to show up at church every Sunday for the rest of your life. It is one of his channels that he has given to pump the gospel into your soul again and again and again and again so that you don't shift away from it. Can you tell that's one I'm passionate about? Listen, I get it. You know, we all, listen, we, here's why we don't. Whether it's coming to church, I was going to talk about reading the Bible, living in community, whatever it is. Here's the reason we don't. It's because we just don't realize how much in danger we really are. You know, we just, we just, we just see, we've seen people walk away and we think that'll never be me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know that, I know they're sort of dumb and they, they, it was hard for them, but that, that'll never happen to me. And the scripture's clear time and time again, that pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before the fall, but God gives grace to the humble. So what if we just took a more humble approach to God's means, his ordained channels, and we said, Lord, you know, sometimes this is inconvenient. Sometimes it's not easy for me. But you know what? If this is, if, if like my eternal destiny rests on me not shifting from the hope of, hope of the gospel, and you've given me these channels to keep the gospel pumping into my soul, then I'm going to keep myself right there. Like, I'm staying there. I'm not moving from there. I'm not going to think, be so prideful to think that I can survive without this. So, it's not just about coming to church. It's, it's about all of the things, living in community, having people in your life who know you, who love God, who love you. It's about spending time in his word. It's about knowing that God has given us these paths, these channels, and sticking our life right in front of them. Uh, right after the service today, on your way in and, and on your way out, there's some opportunities to get connected to the church. If you're interested, uh, we'd love for you to consider. Stop, stop around over there. Ask around. Find ways to get more enmeshed, integrated, um, yes, partly we, we always have things to do around here, but it's, but it's for you, you know, it's like get connected for your sake. Last thing about not shifting from the hope of the gospel, and then we'll get to the final point. Uh, we need to settle in our hearts. Let's settle in our hearts that heaven on earth will not arrive until God brings heaven to earth. The home you're, you're building where you get mail, it's not going to be heaven on earth. There will always be repairs and rots and issues. This, this country we live in, right, great as it is, as much as we should care about it and seek its good, it is not going to be heaven on earth. Um, our own hearts, they are not going to act now like they're going to act in heaven. We have to understand that we are wonky. We do weird things. We need to surround ourselves with people because we make dumb decisions when we get by ourselves because we're not in heaven yet. It's not going to be heaven on earth until God brings heaven to earth. And so we have to be Humble enough to acknowledge that our only hope is in Jesus. We have to set our trust on him. And if you're here this morning and you're like, well, I don't know, that just kind of makes me feel helpless. Helpless is exactly how someone should feel who is being saved by someone else. Helpless is exactly how we should feel 
when someone else is keeping us alive. So it would be foolish to move on from the gospel because only the gospel gives steadfast hope. Finally this morning, it would be foolish to move on from the gospel because only the gospel is good news for the world. Only the gospel is good news for the world. Uh, The second half of verse 23 says, The hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now that word minister there, it simply means servant. Paul's saying, I became a servant of this gospel. Here's something that we should always remember about the gospel. The gospel is an announcement. It is a proclamation. It is good news. It is glad tidings for perishing sinners. That is what the gospel is. And there are all sorts of ideas today about what this world needs. There are all sorts of famous people and books and podcasts and talking heads telling us what this world needs. But what this world really needs, if what we've been talking about is true today, if the things we have been talking about this morning are true, then what this world really needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this is the announcement that this world needs, that there is light in this dark world. That in this place of death, in this place of desperation, there is hope in Jesus Christ. This is what we do. This is what we announce. This is what we proclaim. The very truth of God to the world. But that leads to our final consideration about why some people move on from the gospel. And I think, if I'm honest, in my own life, in my own life, I don't know about you, maybe as we've been working through this, you've known people that you kind of think fit in some of these categories. But in my own life, this has been the hardest, the hardest one to see play out. When people say, I'm going to leave the gospel because I love the world and its pleasures. Rather than seeing the world as a dark place in need of light, rather than seeing the world as a desperate place in need of hope, rather than seeing the world as a dead place in need of life, we fall in love with this world. We fall in love with its pleasures. And we slowly drift away from Jesus as our hearts get entangled into things that are less. You know, this world is great. This world, this world's great. There's a lot of great things that happen. God is so good to us. He's, he's given us so much grace for us to enjoy so much in this, in this world. But there's nothing in this world. There is nothing in this world that compares to God himself. God is the one who made it all. God is the one who designed it all. God is the one who understands how we work, how we operate. So for us to trade in something, trying to seek pleasures of this world instead of him, it's foolish. It can't can't be achieved. No. No, Paul is saying there's one place where eternal pleasures are found, and that is through the gospel as God leads us to himself. And I want you to see that because this is true, uh, what Paul's saying is, he, he isn't just saying he's trusted in Jesus. He isn't just saying that his, he's put his hope in the gospel. Paul feels the reality of this. He feels the weight that if this is true, if this stuff we've been talking about this morning is true, then he must become a servant of this gospel. He must ask the question, if this is true, then how can I most effectively promote this gospel? How can I be a willing servant of this gospel. And the same thing's true of us. If this is true, if our hope is found in him, if 
We have been reconciled to God and been declared holy and righteous in God's sight as a free gift from Jesus Christ. Then the question we ask is, how do I serve this gospel? How can I position my life to promote this gospel? And even though it's not fun for me, even though it might not be easy for me, even though I don't feel like I'm the most gifted person at speaking out loud, because God has given me his Holy Spirit, I'm willing, I'm willing, Lord, to proclaim the good news, to use my mouth to share the one thing that this world needs, to spread this light of Jesus into this dark and desperate world. <clears throat> so, uh, here's, here's how uh, we're going to close. I, um, I've been around long enough, I've known enough people to know that in a room this size, th- th- there has to be at least somebody, at least a few people, who are feeling tempted right now to move on from Jesus, to move on from the gospel, to believe that there's life somewhere else, to believe that maybe, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not really all that bad. There's somebody in here who's being tempted to step away from the gospel, but I hope this morning what you've heard is just what is at stake here, just how much you would be missing out on, that to shift from the hope of the gospel is to step away from being presented before God as holy and blameless in his sight. To shift away from the gospel is to say no thank you to a reconciled relationship with God. To shift away from the gospel is to right now still be alienated from God, hostile in mind towards him, and dead in your trespasses and sins. Don't move on from Jesus. Don't shift from the hope of the gospel. There is no life outside of Jesus. There is no life outside of Jesus. And so then church, Palmetto Shores Church, what does that mean for us? It means let us give ourselves to wholeheartedly embracing the gospel, to learning it, to delighting in it, to singing, singing it like we have been this morning, to praying it to God with thanksgiving in our hearts, and to reminding each other again and again and again of who we were, of what Christ has done for us, of who we are now, and of all that he has promised us in the future. May this be a church where we never, ever take the gospel for granted, not even for a second. Let's pray. Lord, it's especially easy for those of us who've heard the gospel over and over and over again to become numb to it, to feel like we've got it already. And so this morning, I pray that you would give us a fresh experience of your grace, that you would flood our hearts with joy and delight over all that you're giving us through Jesus Christ. Lord, and I pray for anybody here this morning who's wrestling with honest questions about whether to stick it out and say yes to Jesus or whether to move on. God, right now, would you arrest their heart? Would you show them the dread of life without you, of life where we are dead in our sins. Lord, and awaken them to cry out for mercy 
And Lord, for all of us, Lord, we just cast ourselves upon you this morning knowing that we're not above anything. We're not so prideful to think that this could not ever be us. And so we cast ourselves upon your power. God, we ask that you would keep us, hold us fast by your strong hand. Our hope is in your power, not our own. Our hope is in your goodness and graciousness, not our own goodness. Lord, keep us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen.